Amen. You guys can have a seat. Everybody doing good? Good, good. So if you have a Bible, open up to Romans 11. Uh, If you don't have one, there should be one on the table somewhere around you. This morning we're going to be all over the Bible, but but Romans 11 will be a good starting place for us. Um, While you're flipping, I know this is the first time for a lot of you guys. Uh, My name is Gabe. I'm one of the guys that helps lead the branch. Um, We're just glad that you're here. We were doing uh, move-in for the past couple of days, and it's just great to meet you, your families, um, hear your stories and your situations, what led you here. Um, So we're just super excited that you're here, and and we're excited about what God's going to do in and through us this year. Um, So let me, before we get started, let me walk over here. Um, because this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just got to say this. <clears throat> if I'm not careful, I always have, and, and probably like all of us, we have sin that will creep up and will get us, right? Um, if we're not keeping, like Jonathan Edwards talks about, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And, and so last night I, was, I dropped the kids off at my parents' house, was driving home, and the Lord just like was tearing me up. Um, to the point where I was like, okay, God, I will confess my sin in front of the church to let them know, like, here's where I am. And, um, for me, uh, and I think, I think at some level everyone kind of wrestles with this, um, that we want to please people. So I know that we have 3,000 freshmen or 3,000 students moving in. Um, a lot of cool things are about to start happening. So what's happening for me in my heart is that I really, really want you guys to like me. And I want you to be a part of the church and what the church is doing. And, and I think that it's a good God-honoring thing to desire people to be a part of a community that's making disciples. I think that's a good thing. But where the sinful level gets into is I'm starting to, what's creeping in my soul is I'm starting to base my identity based on, on what you or think or don't think about me. Uh, how many people show up here uh, affects the way that I view myself. And that is sin, that is an idol that like, that God was just not going to let me go through this morning without confessing that my identity is set in Jesus Christ, right? Um, that, that doesn't matter how many people here or not here. It doesn't matter how fast the church grows or if the church dies. Uh, the most important thing is I'm a son of God. That is my identity and nothing else changes. Um, so I just had to leave that before the Lord last night saying, okay, God, like one of my best friends is a pastor in this area. And he always says, Gabe, if no one shows up to your gathering on Sunday mornings, does that change the way you view yourself? And, and the truth is, yes. And so God is revealing an idol to, of um, people pleasing to me through that process. So um, that is my confession. I'm so glad you're here. I want you to be a part of what God is doing here. Um, but I, God has called me out that my identity needs to be set in Christ first. Um, and then, man, I'm a husband. And then I'm a father to my four kids. And lastly, I'm a pastor. Um, so I'm glad that you're here, and I'm grateful, and sorry for just throwing up all of my sin on you, um, but that's just what the Lord is doing in me. Sound good? Okay, now I'm going to walk back over here, and we'll start preaching. Um, so what we're trying to do here is try to figure out what is the church. I mean, I think that's a question we all kind of wrestle with. So typically at the branch, we take a book of the Bible, and we just kind of work our way through. So right now we're working through Luke. Um, we started last August, and we'll end Easter of 2019, so it's about two and a half years within the book of Luke that we're just going line by line. But every now and then we stop to wrestle with certain topics, certain issues that we feel like we need to. And um, so what we're doing now is trying to figure out what is the church? When we say church, what does that mean? Because it's kind of like a sunset. If I say picture a sunset, what you're picturing probably isn't what I'm picturing. Yours might be over a lake, yours might be over an ocean, mine's going to be over a mountain. So when we say church, what comes to your mind when you hear the word church? For some of you, it's red carpet, right? Like whoever decided red carpet was a good idea? Or green carpet, even better, right? Some of it's just a steeple, it's pews. If you're anything like me, it was my mom pinching me to wake up throughout the service, right? Um, We have all these different, for some people, we love church. We've had great experience growing up in church. Um, Some of you here, and I know your stories, uh, you've been wounded by the church. That there was a point in your life where you said, that's it. I'm never going to church. I'm never being a part of a church. If that's how church people act, I'm done. By the grace of God, he's reconciled you back and you're here. But we all, when we say church, think different things. For me, I had a, a really great experience at church. I had my first kiss. Anyone else? True confession. Who else had their first kiss at church? Right? Right? Okay. Here's the deal. I was going to puppet practice. I can't make this up. 
going to puppet practice. I had a puppet on my arm, and I said, hey, Lori, you want to kiss me? I didn't really say that, but I did. Like, it was in the hall going to puppet practice. I had my first kiss. Um, I ran into, this is a really bad story. It has nothing to do, but I was working a camp in college when I was y'all's age. I ran into Lori, her at-the-time boyfriend, and just out of my mouth did not think. I said, hey, your girlfriend was my first kiss. We weren't friends the rest of the week. It was really awkward. But so for church, we just all have this different idea. We all have this different notion. And so what we're trying to answer here is what is the, the big C church? What we'll call the big C church globally. What is God doing? What is he building with the church? But then also little C, what does that mean for us here? So in Dahlonega, Georgia, um, I know a lot of you don't know any of our story. Um, we'll be turning three in September. So we're just a new church. I tell a lot of people we're um, just kind of getting through the potty train stage, right? Like we're still kind of peeing in our diapers every now and then. But we're still figuring out, we're still growing. What does it look like for us to be a little C church that's part of the big C church across the globe? Um, so there's a guy, Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, incredible pastor. Um, here's what he said about the church. And I'm blocking it, so I'm going to walk over here. You can follow along with me. <clears throat> that's C.S. Lewis, but that's okay. Here's what Spurgeon says. Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found a perfect one, I would have never joined it all. So Spurgeon's first point is the church is broken. It's a, it's a group of broken people, so if we had waited for the perfect church, we would have never joined one. At the moment I did join, if I found a perfect church, I should have spoiled it for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Shots fired. Still, imperfect as it is, it's the dearest place on earth to us. All who first give themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people, the church. How else is there to be a church on this earth? Is it right for anyone to refrain from membership of the church? It is right for everyone, and then the testimony of God would be lost to the world. As I've already said, the church is faulty, but that's no excuse for you joining it, if you are the Lord's. Nor need your own faults keep you back, for the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. Isn't that pretty good news, right? <clears throat> Who, though they are saved, still sinners need the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is a nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. That is what Spurgeon in the 1800s talked about the church. That it is the dearest place on earth. What we experience at the church is the dearest place on earth. So biblically, if we were to look at what the church is, <clears throat> there's a Greek word called ekklesia. And that means a group of called out once. So when you read through scripture, um, the word church is never correlated with a building. This is a rented space. After this is over, we're going to tear down everything. We're going to put it in a trailer and we're going to go about our day. So the church is never a building. 140 times the word ecclesia was used in the New Testament. Never once was it referred to as a building. It was always a group of called out ones. It was the body. And so if one thing that if you stick around here, you'll start to notice um, is, is we're really particular on language. That we don't say, hey, welcome to church. We say, welcome to the gathering of the church. Now I know, oh, that's so stupid. You're just being semantics. Yeah, we are because words matter. Things change. If you say you can go to church, then it takes some ownership out of it, doesn't it? It's just a place I go. It's a place that an hour a week, I'm, I'm there. Uh, it's, it's a cool place. I go for somewhere. If they've got coffee, I really like coffee. Sorry, we don't have coffee. Um, I enjoy going to church. But if we say, no, no, scripturally, we are the church. The church is me. I am the church. I'm a part of the church. Then it, then it doesn't give us the freedom just to have a one hour of week church service. But it starts to give ownership. It starts to change the way we live, to change the way we act. So ecclesia the called out ones. That is the church. That's what we are. That's what we represent. And it's very important to see who leads this church. So I'm going to read this text. Like I said, we're going to be all over the place. But Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says this. He, which is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. I do not lead this thing. You guys just need to know that. We are almost done with our elders process. So in, probably in September, we're going to vote in a couple elders to help lead this church. But listen, they don't run this thing. Christ is the lead guy, the lead pastor, the lead, lead everything of the church. That is huge, important for us to model. Another thing that we have to notice about church is found in Ephesians 5, um, where he talks about um, the wife, talking about man and wife marriage, but he relates it over to Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife, even Christ is the head of the church. His body and himself is its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what Paul is outlining is that Christ and the church are married, that Christ is leads, he is the husband in this relationship, the church is the bride, and we see this language all over the place. Now, I'm just going to put all my cards on the table because I had a bunch of different opportunities to get into ministry, and for whatever reason, the Lord chose, chose me and led me to church planting, and here's why. Based on what I see on Scripture, church is God's plan A to reconcile the world to himself. That God is saving, that God is sustaining, that God has created the church to do the will of him all over the world. That the church is God's, there's no other option, there's no plan B, the church is God's plan A. And so this is what happens all the time. My wife and I were at a cookout about a month ago and someone's like, hey, gosh, I love Christians, I just, I just hate the church. I just can't stand the church. Now, I know at some level you don't feel that way because you're here. Thank you for being here. But a lot of people feel that sentiment. And here's what, here's what that would functionally look like. Uh, I challenge you. Maybe don't challenge. Don't do this. But hypothetically, go to Walmart today. Go to Walmarts. Walk around. I want you to befriend a guy. And then I want you to start trash talking his wife that's standing right next to him. Just see what happens. I want you to come over to my house for dinner and sit across the table from us and say, Gabe, you're awesome, and I love you, and you're incredible, but your wife, mm, she needs some work, bro. Do you think we're going to sit there and casually continue to have dinner? Oh, I agree. Pass the mashed potatoes. No, I'm, I'm probably going to flip the table and ask you to leave very politely. There might be some expletives in there. Can I say that? The pastor said expletives, oh my gosh. It's, we're not going to be friends. It's not going to end well. So we cannot say we love Christ but we hate the church because the church is the bride of Christ. So for us, God's plan A is the church. The church is the bride of Christ, so we're all in on the local church. Here in Dahlonega, and for us, every major college campus in the state of Georgia, which that will be next week. So that's what we're talking about when we start to define the church. So Big C, globally, that's kind of the church. What does this mean for us? Who is the Branch Church Dahlonega? Um, here, here, and it'll be on the screen too. Here's what we, we are. Um, we exist by the God's glory, for God's glory, to make disciples. Okay, so that's the first part. We exist by God's glory, for God's glory, to make disciples. Equipping them to know, believe, and obey Jesus as a gospel-centered community living on mission. We are the Branch Church. So that sounds very poetic, that sounds very good, and blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm going to give a quick recap. Uh, two weeks ago, we covered the first part, we exist by God's glory, for God's glory. But last week, we covered to make disciples, equipping them to know, believe, and obey Jesus. Um, this week, I'm going to hit as a gospel-centered community living on mission. And next week, we're going to finish it with We Are the Branch Church. Um, so if you go online, go onto our website, you can check out our podcast and, and kind of get caught up. But Here's just a quick recap. Here's what I mean. Here's what we mean when we say, by God's glory, for God's glory. If it wasn't for God's glory, would we be sitting here? If it was, just, just dream with me for a second. If it wasn't for God's glory, what, what would our lives look like? Would we even exist? Because here's, um, I, I almost said it again. Let's look at Romans 11. I said Romans 11 last week and I skipped right over it. 
Romans 11, we're going to pick it up in verse 33. Romans 11, 33 will kind of set the page for God's glory. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Let me just read verse 36 one more time. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. So when we start talking about um, we exist by God's glory, for God's glory, I think we need to start with saying, what is, what is glory? Because glory is kind of like beauty. John Piper lends it to, to beauty. Um, so I can explain to you what a banana is. Anyone have a banana? No, I mean, you don't need one. It wouldn't help anything. I was just curious. Uh, banana is yellow. It's kind of got like a crescent moon shape to it. It's about this big around in the middle. So I can explain to you what a banana is, and then I can lay out a bunch of fruit in front of you and say, okay, pick out the banana. You'll be able to do it. But what if I said, hey, what is beauty? I'm going to put a couple things in front of you, and I want you to pick out what is beautiful. That changes a little bit, right? Because we all see beauty in different ways. Like for me and my wife, when I was in high school, my wife is my high school sweetheart. <clears throat> when I was in high school, here's what I knew. I wanted to marry a girl with a beautiful smile because everything else changes. You know what I'm saying? Everything else changes over time, but a woman's smile never does. So for me, what was beautiful was my wife's smile. So I could say, here's a couple different faces. What is beautiful? And it's going to be hard to answer that because we all see beauty in a different way. But here's what we can do. We can point to beauty when we recognize it. Right? We can point to beauty when we recognize it. We can, I mean, who is crowned or topped over Crown Mountain and not looked at the mountains and go, oh man, that's beautiful. Well, what makes it beautiful? Explain to me the logic behind beauty. I can't, but look at that. That thing is, those mountains are beautiful. The shade that's coming from the clouds that are hitting the mountains, that, that's just beautiful. So when we talk about God's glory, we can't adequately explain it because we can't really uh, understand his glory, but we can point to it when we recognize it. So what we're talking about is glory, and John Piper would say it this way, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. I'll read it one more time. The glory of God is his infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. So when we talk about by God's glory, that we exist as a church by God's glory, here's what we mean. Um, Isaiah 43 would say that we are created for God's glory. So the only way that we're even here, that we're breathing oxygen, that I am talking to you, is because of God's glory that we were created for his infinite beauty, for his many perfections. That's why we were created. Now we can keep going that we were saved, that Isaiah 43, again, I, that he blots out our sins for his own namesake, for his own glory. So if you are a chosen one, if you are a son or daughter of God, it's only because, it's only because his glory, he has saved us. So when he went to that cross, when he died, he paid the penalty for sin for all of us so that anyone can be a son or a daughter of him. It's only by his glory that he did that. Or even sustaining. I mean, John 15 is kind of what the branch church is built around, that he is the vine, that we are the branches. The branch, get it? Get it? That's good, right? Uh, my wife did that. She's pretty smart. And all the way at the end of John 15, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the only way that God is sustaining us is because of him and his glory. So we just have to get to this fundamental um, step one, that we can do nothing apart from his glory. That God in his goodness and his manifold perfections and his infinite beauty has given life to us. So everything we do then past that point is for his glory. 
So 1 Corinthians would say, and I know we've all heard this, 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And we start to understand that everything, all my purpose, I was created and saved and sustained by God's glory. And yeah, it just makes sense that everything I do is for his glory. So as a church, we exist by God's glory, for God's glory. So, so what does this actually look like? Like how can you tell if we're actually living for God's glory? That's a great question, and it's right here. To make disciples, equipping them to know, believe, and obey Jesus. So what does it really look like for us to um, know that we're living for God's glory? Well, are we making disciples? And if you have any church background, we all know, and I bet you we all have 10 t-shirts with this on it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? For all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age, right? I mean, that is like one of those Christian verses that we just know, but very, people, very few people walk in. Because, I mean, if we're, can we just be straight with one another? Making disciples really scares the crap out of us. The idea of making a disciple, you feel unqualified, you feel unfit, you feel like that's something that I can't really do. That's what professional Christians do. Pastor, it's easy for you to say, go make disciples. You get paid to do that. But for me, I don't, I don't really have to make disciples. There's this incredible story in Acts where some of the uh, disciples, or at this point apostles, were getting in trouble for worshiping God. And they said, listen, they brought him before the court. If you don't quit, we're going to throw you in jail. And they based, their response was, do what you got to do, man. Like, I cannot quit talking about what I've seen and what I've heard. I, I can't. So throw me in prison if you want to. Because I cannot stop talking about, I cannot stop expressing to my friends, to my families, to strangers, what I've seen and what I've heard. And this is what discipleship looks like. We're all passionate about something. Give me five minutes with you. Give me two minutes with you and I can figure out what you love. I can figure out what you are appreciate. I can figure out what you're into because we all talk about what we enjoy. So the first step to making disciples is just talking about what we enjoy. Here's what that doesn't mean. This is a task that you need to do so that God will love you. If you find talking about God is hard, you don't need to work harder. You need to go back to buy his glory. You need to get back to the foundations of it. Do you really understand who you are and how you were created by God's glory? Don't, don't make this a legalistic thing. Go back to the beginning and focus there and let that manifest into the rest of your life. To make disciples. Now, Ephesians 4, I, I know I'm flying here, but we've got to get, we've got to move on. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says this, that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the works of the ministry. So my job here is not to do ministry for you. My job here is to equip you to do ministry. That's a huge paradigm. You look at a lot of studies and just the church 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, here's what would happen. People would tithe to the church. They would give money to the church and inspect the pastor to do everything. Hey, I've got a sick person in the hospital. You need to come here and pray for them as if my prayers are more powerful than theirs. I've got this friend that needs to know Jesus, so can you come over and tell him about Jesus? And if I were to ever say no, well, pastor, we pay your salary, so bye. I'm going to find someone else that will do this for me. But Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 would just throw hot water on that. That our job here as the branch church is to equip you to make disciples. To teach people to know and believe and obey Jesus. So everything we do here is built around equipping you. That we're not going to do things for you. That our greatest goal, I mean think about an org chart, right? Most org charts, there's a pastor and there's a couple staff and then all of you guys are down here. For the us, we're totally opposite. But we're here to serve the staff, which here is to serve you guys to go and make disciples across all nations. One of the reasons that we love planting in college towns is because when you graduate, who knows where you're going to go? I mean, just think about this for a second. If we have 100 people in this room, the majority of you guys are college students. When you graduate, if we've done our job to equip you to make disciples, when you move to Atlanta, when you move to Charlotte, Chicago, San Francisco, 
Valdosta, whoever moves, anyone from Valdosta? Good, I don't know why anyone would live in Valdosta. Wherever you go, man, you're making disciples, and that is the spread of the gospel through the local church. So our job here is to equip you, equip you to make disciples, teaching people to know, believe, and obey Jesus. So that, that sounds really theoretical, right? To know, believe, and obey, that sounds good. It's, but what does that really mean? Here's what we want you to know, and everything starts with know. We want you to know that Jesus is everything. That Jesus is, that there's literally nothing else that matters other than the fact that Jesus Christ is everything. So when it comes to finances, it doesn't matter. Jesus is everything. Jesus will figure it out. When it comes to career path, it doesn't, as long as I'm following Jesus, everything is going to follow out for me. I mean, Romans 8 is beautiful, but if he is for me, then who can be against me? What, what can touch me if I understand how powerful Jesus Christ is and that he is everything, I mean, nothing can touch me. So that's why you see these apostles all through Acts going, sure, throw me in prison. I'm going to convert your guards. Sure, let me go. I'm going to preach the gospel anywhere I go. Sure, beat me, and I'm going to leave prison rejoicing because I was counted worthy of suffering for the sake of Christ. (laughs) You can't touch someone like that. When we understand that Jesus is everything, it changes the scope of how we view entire universe, the entire world. It changes all the big decisions, all the small decisions when we understand and know that Jesus is everything. Everything starts to change. So the transition from know to believe is a really tricky one. Because a lot of us know things, right? I mean, just, just raise your hand if you were raised in church. I just want to see this real quick. Okay. So we all have a bunch of knowledge about Jesus. I know that Dairy Queen blizzards are not good for me. Do you think I believe that? No, right? I know that I should not go get a mini truffle blizzard from Dairy Queen, right? Or the, I had one yesterday, just true confession, because I moved you guys in, it was really hot, and so Kayla and I rewarded ourselves with Dairy Queen. The, I'm going to sin and covet here for a second. But the, the cream cheese one, or the cheesecake with the strawberry filling, oh my, it's like heaven in a cup, man. It was the greatest thing I've experienced in a long time, since like my wedding day. Not even my kid's birth competed with the glory that was in that cup yesterday. Seriously. So I know, I know with all my heart that eating those things is going to end badly for me. But I don't believe it. I don't walk in that truth yet. Right? And and we can flesh this out in tons of different ways. You guys are about to start school tomorrow, a lot of you. You know, and every single one of you, I can guarantee, raise your hand if you said, this year, I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm starting this semester fresh. No, you're not. <laughs> just, just go ahead and punt on that dream. It's not happening. Because you know it, but you don't believe that that would actually change the way you live. So that knowledge stays up here, but it, it doesn't change the way you feel. Because belief changes the way you feel. It changes everything about you. So it goes from a head knowledge, a theoretical idea, to I believe it, I feel feel it like it's in my gut I've got to do something with this belief so what we want you to believe as a church is that your story actually matters so you can kind of see I mean it's very clever Uh, what we want you to know is that Jesus is everything we're going to keep this in front of you always what we want you to believe is that your story actually matters Um, If you haven't read a book by Donald Miller called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, you should. I know you're about to read a bunch. Um, Donald Miller, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And here's the main premise of the book. If your life was a movie, would anyone pay to see it? If Hollywood came to Dahlonega, Georgia and said, you, I'm going to make a movie out of your life and we're going to put it in all the theaters would, would your life count for anything? Would people pay $11 and would the people sneak Ben and Jerry's ice cream into your movie theater to watch a movie about your life? Because all of us, we know that Jesus is everything, but we don't actually believe that our story counts for anything. We read all about the apostles and all about Paul and what he accomplished, but deep down we don't believe that we really have that in us. We don't believe that we can actually make disciples, that we can actually change the world. I mean, it just blows my mind when Jesus says, listen, you're going to do greater things than I did. You're going to have the spirit inside of you. You are going to do greater things than I. 
So we know that. I, I can show you that here. But do I really believe it to the way that it changes how I live? Do I really walk into my classes? Do I walk into different situations? Do I walk into meetings going, Jesus, you changed the world. Give me the power to change this meeting. Do we walk with that kind of authority that we believe deep down that our story actually matters? And when we know that Jesus is everything and we believe that our story really counts, um, then we, we obey him by showing that people matter. That there is a lost and dying world around us that need the hope of the gospel. Um, this right here is 26,000 tally marks that represent the 26,000 within a 20-minute drive of us that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we know that Jesus is everything, and we believe that our story actually counts for something, that we can make a difference here in Delonica, that we're not just here for school, that we're not here for a job, that we're here for a purpose, and that purpose is that people matter. And that people matter corresponds to the 26,000 around us. We know, but we cannot. Here, please, church, hear me. We cannot go backwards. We cannot try to live a life that says people matter, and then my story matters, and finally, if I do those two things, then maybe I'll start to believe that Jesus is everything. We have to start there. So flip with me to Acts 2 real fast. Because uh, I, I will show you fleshed out in the scripture uh, where we got this from. Acts 2, 42, probably a familiar passage to some of you guys. Acts 2, 42 through 47. I tell you to do it, but I don't do it. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to breaking bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. This is knowledge, right? This, this is the know. What are they trying to know? What are they trying to understand? That Jesus is actually everything. That the apostles' teaching, that we're, what we're teaching, I don't want you just to know the Bible. I want you to know the God of the Bible. That just knowledge about God doesn't change your life, but knowledge of God will. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the knowing of Jesus. Verse 43, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, And all who, what's that next word? Believed. And all who believed were together, had all things in common. So they believed that their story matters, that they were living in a community, and we'll see what was happening. They were, we'll, we'll just keep going. Verse 45, and they were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's obedience. I have a lot of things in my house that I do not want to get rid of for you. What, is that too far? Can I just be honest? There's a lot of things that I enjoy, but when I understand that Jesus is everything, and when I believe it, when I really feel it, then everything else just turns into worldly rust. Everything that I own right now eventually will be in a yard sale or a dump, right? Everything that you own, good, oh my goodness, all the crap, big C, can a pastor say crap? Because I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go off for a second. All the crap that we moved in for some of you yesterday is ridiculous. You do not need all that stuff in a door. Go read a book. Quit watching your 60-inch TV and your custom bedroom furniture. Like, get out of that dorm room for the love of all that's holy. You don't need any of that. But we start to see this when we really believe that Jesus is everything. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we shop. It changes the way we buy. And here's the result, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. It wasn't you. It's not going to be me. Let us never fall into this trap that A plus B plus C equals lives changed. No, we're just walking in obedience what God has called us to do. And the Lord is going to add to our numbers day by day those who are being saved. And we have a lot of work to do. We have a, we'll, you'll see this at the end when we end every gathering. We stop and pray for the 26,000. But, but here's what Jesus would teach us. That we're not praying for the laborers. We're not praying, or we're not praying for the harvest. The harvest is here. 
who we're praying for is for me and for you that God would give us a boldness to really believe or know that Jesus is everything, to believe that we have a story that matters and to obey that by telling the world about Jesus. So what does that actually look like for us? Boots on the ground. How can you get involved with what we're doing here to make disciples, equipping them to know, believe, and obey Jesus? Everything is built around, everything we do. Anyone ever seen Remember the Titans? You guys skip class tomorrow and watch Remember the Titans. That's ridiculous. Uh, in the Remember the Titans, the new coach comes in, Coach Boone, and he's got a super thin playbook. And his line is, it's just like Novocaine. Give it time and it always works. But we are super simple here. Part of the reason is we don't want to be complicated. Part of the reason is we don't have the money to be complicated. But the bigger reason is we just don't see that in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is a duplicatable model, 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 model. Write that down. That's a good one. A duplicatable model that we can take how we do church and do it here, do it in Africa, do it in China, do it in India. It doesn't matter. We're not married to technology. We're not married to anything that would inhibit us from starting the branch church anywhere across the globe. So we want to keep it small and we want to keep it simple. And here's what that means. Um, We do three things. We do three things to equip you to know, believe, and obey Jesus. So we call this the gospel-centered community living on mission. That Everything we do is centered around the gospel, is focused on community, and it leads us to live on mission. And I, I would love to go into some of this, but let me just say this. Uh, community is a huge deal for us, and here's what I mean. The traditional model of discipleship is um, one person teaching many people in a classroom-style setting. We get this, harmlessly enough, from this dude named Jesus. Anyone ever heard of him? So Jesus took 12 guys and said, I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to raise you up. Now you guys go do that. Well, here's the deal. Here's kind of the rub that we have to understand. Jesus is God. Okay? Are you and I God? No. So if I pick one person to disciple, if it's just a 1v1 relationship, or even if I disciple 12 guys, here's the fear. Here's what typically happens. You're going to start to look more like me and less like Jesus. So what we said is, no, no, we're going to take discipleship and we're going to put it into part of community to where I have offer, I can offer things within this community to make you more like Christ, but everyone around the table does too. I don't want you to look like me. There's attributes of what, I, what God has done in my heart that I want you to follow me in, but not all of them. I mean, just last week, what, what night was it? Thursday, Brie? Friday? I don't know. I lost my cool with my daughter. I mean, I'm talking, I mean, obviously didn't abuse anything, but I, my voice was loud talking to her. I, I don't want you to parent like that. But here's what I do want you to parent like. I stayed in that room and apologized with her and prayed with her and sang to her until she went to bed. So do I want you to have an anger in you? No. And the Lord is curing me from that temper one day at a time but I do want you to confess your sin when you mess up. But I do want you to go to apologize. So we think that community is best for discipleship because we all get to sharpen one another. Proverbs are talking about as iron sharpens iron, so as one man sharpens another. That discipleship happens best within the context of community, together, that we're all pushing each other towards Jesus. So what does this really look like functionally? What does no believe and obey look like? And then we'll get out of here. Um, We'll start here, Sunday gatherings. Um, What we want you to know, what we want you to know is this fancy chart up here. We want you to know the God of the Bible. We want you to learn. So here's what's going to happen. Every time you come into a Sunday gathering like this, that's what SG stands for, uh, the gospel is going to be open. The Bible is going to be open. We're going to learn together about the character and nature of God. And if we actually learn, if that knowledge starts to permeate within us, all we can do is respond. It's just a natural thing for us to respond. And what does that look like? That looks like worship, that we worship freely, that we go hard in worship because we're responding to the knowledge of who God is, that we end every gathering with communion, that we respond with a clean heart taking communion because we know now who God is, that we give back to God through tithes and offerings because we're responding to the knowledge of who God is. Now, we're not doing this to earn God's favor. We're doing this because we've started to learn about the character and nature of him. 
So if we know the Bible, if we're learning the Bible, and if we're responding to that Bible, then the last step, what does obedience look like? Man, we serve. We want more people here. So you serve here by setting up, by tearing down, by being a greeter, by working in children's ministry, by working in the tech booth, by being in the band, by leading the missional community. All of these different options you can serve, but it's all rooted in the fact that we have learned the character and nature of God, that we can't help but then to respond. And how do we respond? How do we be obedient? We serve. September 10th, we're going to launch missional communities, and we hope that everyone gets involved with missional communities. And here, again, know, believe, and obey. What does that look like for us? Um, Within a missional community, almost every single week, we're going to discuss the truths of Scripture together. We're going to understand. We're going to talk. We're going to disabate. Can we just pray and get out of here? Good grace. Disagree and debate about Scripture, but we're going to come together and discuss the truths of Scripture. And once we start to understand the God of the Bible, um, the natural response is to love and serve one another. If you start reading through Scripture, it's fascinating how many times, I think it's 59, that God talks, or Jesus talks about loving and serving one another, that Paul talks about. This is what the church looks like, that you love and serve one another. So can I tell, can I look at your life to see what, how you believe about God? Yeah, I'm going to see how you live in community, how you love and serve one another. And the natural response from that is, if we're studying Scripture, if we're understanding, if we know who Jesus is, and we believe that by loving and serving one another as a part of community, then the natural response is, we want more people in that community. I mean, no one can keep a secret. No one can keep a secret of where a good party is, right? If something is happening, it could be in the middle of the forest and word's going to spread. So if there's community that we are loving one another, we're serving one another, it is the most beautiful thing that we've seen. We cannot stay silent about that. So we go and we invite the 26,000 people with us. And within missional communities, there's a small group of three to four guys or girls that we call DNA groups. And here's what those do. Um, they're intentional accountability partners together. So within a DNA, how do they know? Uh, they read. They hold each other accountable to reading the Word and understanding the God of the Bible. And what does that look like? How can we tell if they start to believe that? If they're confessing sin. If they're confessing and talking about sin and talking about their struggles. If we read and understand God, then one of the first things we start to understand is, I'm, I'm not Him. I'm, I'm not God. I, I cannot do that. I cannot walk in that. I need people to to bounce ideas off of. I need to confess my sin. James talks a lot about the confession of sin and how freeing it is for us. And then the last step, if we know through the scriptures, if we're reading tons of scripture together and we're confessing and nurturing sin together, then the last step is we pray together. We hold each other accountable. What is the Lord leading you to do? And are you going to do it this week? Now, literally, this four-by-four box is all that we do. Everything, it's, if we do something that does not have gospel, community, and mission, we just don't do it. We try to keep all those things together all the time. So like I said, September 10th, we're going to launch missional communities to get you guys involved to this. But we're trying to keep it lean as possible so that we can do it anywhere and everywhere and we can make disciples effectively. Now, I'll, I'll start to end with this. Anyone ever watch Parks and Recreation? Okay, one of my favorite parts of Parks and Recreation is uh, Ron Swanson, who's just the man. Right? Sitting, that's what gets applause. I'm just kidding. Ron Swanson sitting in this diner. He says, here's what I want. I want all the eggs and bacon that you got. Y'all remember this scene? Okay. Waiter starts to walk off and he says, whoa, wait, wait. I fear what you've heard is that I want a lot of eggs and bacon. I mean all. Okay, so he gets off eggs and bacon. I fear what you have just heard is that this is a to-do list to be a disciple. I fear what you just heard is that this is what you must do to be a part of the branch, so you better start working your butt off and doing these things and these things and these things. These are behaviors we want to see in you. These are not to-do lists that you have to do. Those things are totally different. These are behaviors that we want to instill in you to know and believe and obey Jesus. But this is not a checklist of things you must do. Some of the most harsh language that Jesus ever used was to the Pharisees who did all the right things but were dead inside. Here's what, I'll read this real quick. 
because it is, it is awesome. Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup of the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of your cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you will like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you are outwardly appeal right, appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He was swinging for the fence, right? So, so here's what I fear of what you've heard, is these are things that you must do. And I'm saying, if, if you commit to us, we're committing to you to equip you in these behaviors. To grow you as a disciple to where this is not just a checklist, but this is who you are. That you are, I mean, if we go just across the top, that you love to learn the Bible in this environment, in podcast environment, and reading. That you love to learn, that you love to read scriptures, and that you love to discuss it. That that's all you can talk about. That is a behavior that we want to instill in you, that we want to grow, so we've created environments to do that. But that doesn't mean that you have to do that right now. That doesn't mean that you have to fully be, because this is what we would call a full disciple who's going to turn around and start to make disciples. Here's what I promise you. If you commit to us with missional communities and DNAs in this gathering, that we'll get messy with you. That we will walk through the trenches with you because our only job here is to equip you to be a disciple. That's all we do. We're, we don't try to appease you. We don't do these huge decorations and these huge parties to try to um, draw all these people in. What we're trying to do, everything that we're geared around, is to equip you to be a disciple. I heard Francis Chan say one time uh, about the Great Commission that we always forget the last part. Remember that I'm with you always to the end of age. The closest intimacy we can feel with Jesus Christ is to do what he's doing, which is making disciples. So if you feel a little bit of angst about your Christian journey, if you're just really not sure about it, because honestly it's boring, and it's just not very exciting, that you just don't really, you're kind of starting to buy out of Christianity a little bit because it it just doesn't energize you anymore. I, I, I would press that you're not feeling the intimacy with Jesus that you maybe once have because you're not walking in what he's doing. Henry Blackaby says, find out where God's at work and join him in it. Find out where God's working and join him in it. And I promise you, God is in the business of drawing disciples to himself. That he was pursuing all these people. Your roommate in your dorms, your next door neighbor, God is pursuing them. He's wooing them. And that's where we want to get involved with. There's a quote that I just, just kind of burns inside of me. I despair that my life would pass me by without God moving greatly in my behalf. It's from a book called Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire. I despair, I loathe, I mourn the fact that my life might pass me by, that I might die in my grave without seeing a move of God that's in the history books without seeing something that goes, I can't explain it. I I don't know what's happening. I don't want to be in the history books for any pride reason. I just want to see God do something so big within our midst that we just kind of all sit around dumbfounded going, am I high? Did that happen? I mean, I had brownies, but geez. I, I want to see God do something big. And the best way for that to happen is to do what God is doing, which is make disciples who make disciples. So every every time we end this gathering together, we always end with the same way. We take communion together. And it takes us all the way back to the beginning, that we exist by God's glory. That he has loved us so much so that he could not leave us alone that he sent his son to die for us in our place, to get up on that cross for us, for his father's glory. So I'm going to pray, and then we can respond by, there's communion on both sides, we can respond by taking communion and worshiping together. But here's my desire. Press into Jesus. 
and press into a church, and I understand it might not be this one, and that's fine, but press into a group of called out ones that are actively trying to make disciples here in Dahlonega. Press in, buy in. Don't get to this lie where you believe, well, once I get out of college, then I'll press in. Once I get a good job, a career, then, then I'll press in. Once I get my family base, once I purchase a house, once I get my kids to college, once I retire, once I die. Press into kingdom work. Press into Christ. So let me pray. Uh, Father, it's only by your glory that we stand. It's only by your glory that, that we talk to you, that we exist, that we have been saved. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming to die for us. Jesus, thank you for, thank you for it all. It's only by your glory that we exist, that we are saved, that we are sustained, that we can talk. That, and God, honestly, I, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand why you would love us, why you would die for us, why you would save us, God. I don't, I don't get it. Because I know myself. God, I know my sins. I know my shortcomings. I know how often I fail. But God, you saved me anyways. You saved us anyways, not because we were good, not because any other reason other than you are good and it's for your glory. And so Father, for all the things that are going on in our minds and uh, the worries, the fears, and the anxieties, God, as we take communion together as believers, breaking the bread which represents your body and dipping it into the juice which represents your blood, Father, would we get a new idea, a new sense of you and your love and your character? God, would we repent? Would we begin to change our mind of how we think? Fathers, Romans 12 would say, would we renew our minds to see you in a different light, to know you in a different way, and how that would affect everything about us? God, you are good. You are the king. You are love. And Father, we are your sons and daughters crying out for a move of you and your glory in our town. God, would you do something that no one can explain? God, would you rattle this town by your love and by your grace and by your mercy that there's literally no explanation for what happened other than God moved? And would you use the people in this room, the college students, the families, the careers, God, to equip the saints for the works of the ministry. God, we love you. But more importantly, thank you for loving us. It's your name that we pray. Amen.